every year, we do the same thing at Heartstrings. We start out with this little deal about how to get the most out of Heartstrings. And the reason I do this is because there is a need to do this. Because of some of the issues that come out up throughout the year. So, in about three minutes, we're going to go over this and let you discuss it around your table so that we start out on the best note possible. So take that thing that says, getting the most out of heartstrings, and fill in some blanks. If you want the best heartstrings experience, what do you think the first thing should be there? Attend regularly. That's not real hard to figure out, is it? Attend regularly. Oh my goodness, it is so hard to create the best dynamics around your table when people miss, especially when they miss a lot. So I want to encourage you, when you get up on rainy mornings this fall, or snowy mornings this uh, winter, or you have a little bit of a headache, or you're a crab, or you just go, I don't want to go, remember that probably Patty Gray feels the same way. Time I go, oh no, I don't want to get this morning. I thought, I just want to sleep in. What a day to sleep in! And probably half the people in here feel the same way. But just pull it up and get out of bed and take a couple of ibuprofen and just come and see if you aren't absolutely thrilled that you did that. You've got to attend regularly. And if you find out that you absolutely can't come from sickness, we have a lot of young moms. Call your table host. We'll find out who that is in a little bit. Call your table host. You'll have her number after two weeks of being in here. And let them know that you're going to be here so that we don't go, you know, wonder if something's wrong and we can pray for you. So attend regularly. The second thing is um, give your table a chance. Give your table a chance. How many of you, look around your table, how many of of you are sitting at a table where you don't know somebody? Let me see your hand. You don't know somebody at your table. Most of you don't know somebody at your table, and even those of you who the tables aren't full, you probably have someone because we have a lot of new people and we kind of intersperse them throughout the uh, the tables. And some of you are going to sit there and go, I'm not sure about these people. I want to encourage you just to give it a chance for a couple weeks. Pray for those people for a couple weeks. See what the Lord does in your life. Some of you, I know already, are saying, she put me where? And some of you are going, she put me on the front row? Some of you are saying, she put me on the back row. Some of you are saying, I don't like these two people. I just want to really ask you to just give it a little bit of time. Now, if you came and you really were hoping to sit with somebody, and you're looking over and their table's not full, if that table doesn't get full, we maybe, if we messed it up, we'll work out that, okay? So if there's somebody that you said, I told you I wanted to sit with those guys and you didn't put me there, it could have been that their table was really full. And we didn't want to put nine there, or it could have been that we just messed up. So if after heartstrings today, come up to me if there's somewhere that you really, really were hoping to sit, okay? Number three, participate. Let me tell you uh, what I mean by that. Uh, some of you, let me see if I can put it. Yeah, participate. Get really, like when I give questions, just jump in there and share. But don't monopolize. Some of you are introverts, and you sit around your table and you go, oh, I hope they don't ask me what I think about this question. I'm just dying. I'm so embarrassed. You need to step out of your shell, and when we ask questions, you need to jump in there and just, you know, take a deep breath and talk and give your opinions and give, tell about your life. Some of you are extreme extroverts, and you need to shut up. You need to shut up a lot. Because I'm an extrovert. I can say this. I understand what it is. Somebody asks a question when I'm in a group and I go, I just know I can answer this. I know I can help them. I know. And I have to just shut up. And you know what extroverts need to learn to do? Ask questions. Because an extrovert, and I'm talking about you guys more, because if you shut up, the introverts will talk eventually. I tell this every year about my friend Bert, who says, Patty, you just need to tell extroverts that I'm an introvert. He says, I'm an introvert. And as long as extroverts will talk, I just won't. I will never interrupt. They go, man, Bert, how do you know when to talk if you won't interrupt? That's part of extroverts' life. <laughs> I want to encourage you, if you're an extrovert, make it your goal. When the questions are tossed out, you just go, turn to somebody and go, Mary, what do you think about that? Pam, give me your, what do you think? Just jump in there and be committed to saying, we're going to pull the depth 
and the riches and the great stuff out of those introverts. So if you want to participate, everybody, you just don't want to monopolize. Around your table, I want you to answer these two questions real fast. One, are you an introvert or an extrovert? So are you that person that they need to pull stuff out of you, or are you the extrovert and you need to shut up? And also, which of those will be the hardest for you? Will it be hardest for you to attend regularly? Why? Will it be hard for you to give your table a chance? You probably don't want to say that one. <laughs> Will it be hard for you to shut up or to let people pull things out of you? You just got a couple of minutes, but I want everybody around your table, make sure your name tag is on so they get your names the first week here, and answer that question, go. Okay, I know that's not much time, but you will find that you never have enough time. That's the good news, that there's always so much to talk about that you won't ever feel like you really fully get to answer everything around your table, but I want you to at least start talking with each other. Let me give a bunch of announcements. I always tell you every September, I hate the first week because there's so much to tell you about, and I want to get into the lesson, so I'm going to fly through these announcements, okay? Let me tell you a bunch of things. Number one... If you've been at Heartstrings long, you know that we have to take up a lot of money to pay for our child care workers. And so I'm always going, um, make sure you put in your offering and you take that envelope that's in front of you and you pass it around and we encourage everybody to put in a dollar a week and that will take care of it for us. But we, I always get stressed because it takes so much money to pay for our child care workers. And so I got special permission this year for us to do something to raise a little money so that I don't care if you chip in a dollar once in a while. So we just have plenty of money. In fact, if we make enough money on this, you don't, I won't take up an offering a few weeks. We're going to sell Heritage bags. I just think these are so neat. Um, we're going to sell these for 10 bucks. We make $4 for every one that we sell. And all I'm asking you to do is, I'm not asking you to sell a dozen of these. I'm asking you if you can afford it to buy one and then sell one to a friend. If you can't afford it, you let me know and we'll make sure you get one, okay? Because I'd love it if everybody in Heartstrings had a Heartstrings bag and these were all over the quad cities. These are really good bags. I've used mine now for about six months and I pile it full with so much stuff and it's still doing great. So next week we're going to start uh, selling these for 10 bucks. We can't do credit cards with it, so bring cash or a check and next week, a couple weeks, we'll sell these, okay? And speaking of which then, we're going to have you pass around that offering envelope. And you can put in your dollar if you want, or two bucks, or twenty bucks, whatever you want to do. Some people just pay twenty bucks and they don't pay them for quite a long time, so do that if you want. Um, but in addition to that, I wanted to ask your input in something. We could, we would like to hire a few more childcare workers. We have four paid childcare workers. We have six a week that we need as volunteers because we have to have ten childcare workers to take care of the fifty kids that we have. Um, if any of you know of somebody who you think might like to get paid to be one of our child care workers, um, at that little table right by the sound booth room, there are some applications. You could grab one of those, take it to your friend, and she could apply to work on Wednesday mornings from, I don't know, like quarter to nine to 11.15 or something. And uh, we would love to hire a few more so that we kind of down play that amount of people we have from here. I know how hard it is to miss heartstrings. If you miss it for child care or any other reason, you can go online and you can listen to the lesson each week and so that helps a little bit. Um, also take attendance on there, on those yellow sheets. Make sure you take attendance. If somebody comes late, check it off, especially because I'm going to contact all those people this week and we just need to know uh, who is and who isn't here. Oh, also about child care, Naomi's going to come around uh, beginning in just a minute. She's going to go table to table to table to table for 17 tables and ask you to sign up one time this semester for child care. We know that there are a few of you who uh, are age-wise or something where you just can't do that, and that's okay. But out of 100 and almost 40 women, we know that we should be able to... to get that covered. So she's going to start coming around and so don't kick her or hit her or scream at her. Um, I've asked her to do that. Um, let's see. Oh, also, on your table there's a little card that says Heartstrings table number and it says host. It has a blank on there. If you've been coming to Heartstrings long, you know that we ask every table to have a table host. 
That's the person then that I ask questions of about your table. You make sure the attendance is taken and the offering is taken. Um, people can call you when they're going to be absent. We just need somebody who says, that's just going to be my ministry for this uh, semester. And so if you are willing to do that, would you right now pick that up? And I'm going to give you 30 seconds to talk around your table. If you don't fill it out, I just have to call everybody around your table and say who's going to do it. So keep me from having to call. If you happen to have one of the tables that are don't have quite as much today because people are sick and stuff, you might wait until next week if you're not sure if you have someone to do that yet. Okay? Give you 30 seconds. Go. Fill those out. Would you pass that all around your table and find out if that's accurate? And then after we get all of those updated, Naomi will print them all out for all of you around your table so that you can have each other's information, okay? So just pass those blue sheets around. Okay. Before we get into Colossians, I want to share with you... Um, a passion that I have. Great big passion in my life. They uh, tell me that this stage is temporary. And when I was up here trying to see how I felt being this far up, I just felt like I was going to levitate up or something. So I put this little thing, had him put this little thing down there. So I know I'm going to scare a lot of you thinking I'm going to fall off. I hope I don't, but we'll see. This is just temporary for a couple weeks. I have a passion. This is my passion. I am, I don't even know how to tell you how strongly I feel about this. I have three desires for you this year. I am begging God that he would use this semester in heartstrings to help you more than ever love the word of God. I am just praying that God will use me, will use Jill, We'll use stuff around your table. We'll use our lessons to help you come to the place where you can say, I absolutely love God's word. That you're like Jeremiah who says, when your words came, I just ate them. Or like Psalm 119 where it just says, I just love your word. I love your precepts. I love your statutes. I just love them. I can tell you after being a person who has walked with the Lord for 55 years now, I love God's word more than I ever have. It is, I just, I just feel like I just want to eat it up. And I am praying more than ever that you this semester come to love God's word. But I'm hoping and praying it doesn't stop there. I'm hoping and praying that you're a person who just really, really learns God's word more than ever, where you're just a person who says, I can't get enough of it. I just want to know what Colossians says. I want to know what it, what Paul's teaching here. I want to learn Ephesians. I want to learn Philippians. I want to learn Matthew. I just want to learn God's word. And you're at different stages of your Christian life. I know that. I'm just praying that God will use heartstrings this year to help you be a person who says, as I'm learning God's word, I'm just loving it more than ever. But I'm also praying that it doesn't stop there. I'm praying that you're not just a person who loves God's word and a person who learns God's word, but I'm praying that you're a person who just gets better and better and better at living out God's word. And that's what I'm praying for my own life. I am just praying that more than any time in my life, I read the word of God that I'm loving, that I'm learning. And then I just am letting God use it to transform my life. And then I find myself every day, every minute, every hour coming to live it out. And that's my desire for you. That's my prayer for you. And I don't know where you are when it comes to the word. 
But I have the sense that God is going to do something unusual in our lives this semester. Something extra. And that's what I'm praying for. And around your table, I want you just to take two or three people to lead out in prayer and just ask God to help us let that happen in our lives this semester. Would you pray around your tables? Dear precious Holy Spirit, I ask what I've been asking all morning, that your spirit will descend, that your spirit will fill this room. I pray for those who are sitting here this morning who maybe are discouraged, they've had a tough summer, maybe they've grown complacent. Maybe some are sitting here calloused towards you, towards your word, towards faith. There may be someone here today who doesn't even know you as Savior yet. And then there are people who are on fire for you, people who love you passionately, people who love your word. But Lord Jesus, I'm just praying in the powerful name of Jesus that you do a new work in us. Wherever we're bringing, coming today, whatever we're bringing with us today, I pray in the powerful name of Jesus that you would do a new work. That you would touch every single woman around these tables. Every single woman. And that you would raise us up to a new level of loving your word, living your word, learning your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would do some amazing things today and each day as we meet. And anything you do, we'll just be really, really careful to tell you, we know it's all you. Just completely, totally, absolutely you. And we'll be really careful to give you all the praise. Now, Lord, as we open your word, open it up to us. Spirit of God, open it up to us. We pray in your precious name. Amen. Hey, take your Bibles. And if you forgot your Bible, there are some Bibles back there on the pool table. Feel free to get up and go get one there. Some of you want to know what translation do we tend to use? We tend to use the NIV. I love the New Living Translation, but I am such a creature of habit, and I know the, the NIV, so that's what we tend to use in here. Uh, once in a while, I'll pull out some New Living uh, Translation stuff, too. So you can use whatever you want to do. Turn to the book of Colossians. If you've been around long this summer, you know that we're studying Colossians, first of all. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Let me give you a little bit of background First of all, on Colossians. We forget that when Paul is writing these places, we just tend to forget that he's writing real places. Places like Rock Island, Illinois, and Davenport, Iowa. Places that really existed. And in Colossians, he's writing the town of Colossae. Say that with me. Colossae. Where is he writing? What's the name of the town? Colossi. I want you really, really to get this. I'm going to do a lot of repetition today because I just want you to get stuff that maybe you're not familiar with. Um, he's writing the people at Colossi. He could just as well and is writing the people today in Rock Island Heritage Church. This letter was written to real people in what is today Western Turkey. When Paul was writing this, it was um, about 60 to 62 A.D., and he was writing, probably most scholars believe, from prison in Rome. He's writing from the, uh, the prison in Rome where he is probably kind of like on house arrest, probably chained between two soldiers, but has really some freedom to walk about and do some things. And so it's one of his several prison letters. Would you say that would be prison letters? Where is it written to? Classy, and he's writing from prison, so they're just known as his prison letters. In fact, take your Bible and turn back just a little ways to Philippians. A couple of books to Philippians. Or one book. I'll go back one more to Ephesians. Kind of hold that out a little bit until you see Ephesians. Kind of hold that up. That's one letter. He's writing about the same time from prison. Go forward a little bit until you see Philippians. That's another letter that he's writing about the same time from prison. And then what's next? 
Colossians. Then if you turned over, you don't have to if you don't want to, but if you turn over several books, you would see the book of Philemon. Philemon. In fact, when we get done with uh, uh, Colossians, we're going to take like one week and just look at Philemon because this is one chapter that I think will be helpful to us about relationship stuff. Now, when Paul wrote these four letters to these four different places, he was writing them a lot about the church. In fact, some people have said he has written in those four books the anatomy of Christianity or the anatomy of the church. Now go back to um, Colossians, because that's where we're going to be. Colossians chapter 1. Why did he write Colossians? He wrote Colossians because of a great big word called syncretism. Say that with me. Syncretism. What is it? Syncretism. How many of you have used the word syncretism in the last week? Probably not. But you live in a world that is full of it. Syncretism, because of where uh, Colossae was located, it was kind of a central place where a lot of trading had been happening. A lot of, uh, it used to be a really big thriving town. Now it was kind of a small insignificant place. But because of its location, a lot of people traveled through there on their way to other places. And so it had become a center of all kinds of philosophies and religions and backgrounds. And it had combined philosophies of paganism, Judaism, Greek thought, and Christianity. And when you put all these those things together, you get what we call syncretism. Syncretism means to put something together, to put a bunch of things together. And that's what had happened at this church in Colossae. It had been a place that had once held more closely, probably, to biblical church, to, to truth, to the gospel. But it was beginning to get all kinds of philosophies, all kinds of different beliefs, all kinds. Does this remind you anything about what's happening to Christianity today? Does it remind you where people say, well, what's wrong with putting a little Buddhist belief into it? What's wrong with putting a little, I have a good friend who's a Hindu. What's wrong with believing what she believes? So when Paul writes to the Colossians, and they're involved with this syncretic kind of philosophies going on, he is really writing today to a place that is that is involved in this kind of stuff all the time. One more word I just want you to get in your mind that's not a word that you use ever. But it's this one because it really uh, has to do with this what's happening in Colossae. Um, all of this syncretic kind of philosophy and thinking resulted in one particular kind of philosophy called Gnosticism. Say that with me. Gnosticism. Gnosticism, we'll talk about every week in here. Instead, I thought instead of giving you a, a breakdown of what Gnosticism is today, I would just do, we'll just do little bits every week. So today we'll look at just a tiny bit of it. The Gnostics were a group of people who came a little bit later than this, so right now it's just beginning to infiltrate the church. But the Gnostics began to say that there was a special knowledge that you could have. Not everybody could have the special knowledge. But you could have it if you listened to these people, and they tended to deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They said there are other things that you can pull alongside this. And so the deity of Jesus Christ was denied. And so Paul is going to, stru- going to stress the deity of Jesus Christ. Would you say deity of Jesus Christ with me? The deity of Jesus Christ. That is going to, next or in two weeks, that's just going to overflow his writings about the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And Paul is going to stress the Colossians' greatest theme, the all-sufficient Christ. The all-sufficient Christ. Well, that's just a little bit of background that we have to do in order for you to really understand a little bit of what's going on in um, Colossians. If you will take your Bibles and look at that first verse of chapter 1. First verse of chapter 1. Um, when you read the Bible to some of these um, chapters, do you ever kind of real quickly just skip over um, the first couple of verses? A lot of people do. They go... Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ, at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now I'm going to get on to the stuff that's really important. That's what we tend to do. Well, I want to help you understand that this greeting that Paul opens up with is really, really important. So I want to teach you a little bit of stuff here, and then I'm going to have you talk about around your table how you're doing with this stuff that Paul's talking about. Because it is really, really, 
rich in um, all, all that he's saying. Right here, I have my business card. It just tells a little bit about me. It tells my name. It tells where I work. It tells my email address and my blog and stuff like that. It's just my business card. So if I'm going to the, uh, the hospital or if I'm going to uh, somewhere where I need to leave this, I just leave my little business card. And it just, they know a little bit of who I am. When Paul writes this first two verses here, it's like he's leaving his business card to the Colossians. Because you see, they've never met him. He has heard about the Colossian church as he's in prison. Uh, uh, before that, he was in Ephesus. And he had a one a, a, a guy to the Lord. His name was Epaphras. We're going to study him in just a little bit. He had won this guy named Epaphras to the gospel, to Jesus Christ. And Epaphras had gone back from Ephesus over to Colossae, where it was his home. And he had started this little Colossian church. Well, as all of the syncretism started coming up and all of this Gnosticism began to show its roots, Epaphras got really, really worried. And so he went back to Rome and he told Paul all that's happening. So Paul's never been to Colossae, but he has to kind of start out by at least telling them, this is who I am, guys. And he does that by giving his business card in these first two verses. But in it, he has so much wonderful stuff to say. Right there on your note-taking, guys, in the box is that first verse, those first two verses. And I want you to read those out loud with me, okay? Ready? With lots of energy. Ready? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God the Father. Let's take that apart just for a little bit. You might want to circle the word apostle. So Paul says, hey guys, I'm an apostle. He's setting his credentials really early here. He's saying, this is who I am because you haven't met me. But he's telling him right away, I'm an apostle, one who is sent by God. That's what that literal meaning is, an apostle, one who is sent by God. His role has not been earned or achieved. God has called him to be this apostle. And so he's writing from that perspective. And he says, and Timothy. So he says, Paul and Timothy, we're writing this letter to you. Most scholars believe that Timothy probably didn't do much of the writing. Timothy was probably the stenographer. That was just the tradition that they would have back then, that one person would, um, uh, what do you call that? What? Verbalize. would dictate. That's what I'm trying to get. He would dictate, and the stenographer would write it down. And Timothy, who had been very educated, would have been able to write this down. So he was probably the stenographer. Look at chapter 4, verse 8 for a second. 4, verse 8. 18. Let me get back there. Chapter 4, verse 18, Paul says, uh, I, Paul, write this reading in my own hand. So he says at the end, I'm kind of putting my signature right here at the very end. He says, remember my chains. Don't forget, guys, I'm in prison. But he's writing probably through Timothy. But notice then what he says about the people in Colossae and then to the people at Rock Island, Illinois this morning. He says, I'm writing this letter to you. To what kind of people? To the holy and the faithful. To the holy and the faithful. What do those two words really mean? What do, what's the connotation that they hold? What about holy? I put on your notes right there. It carries the idea of being God's chosen ones, set apart and commissioned for divine service. Let me read it once more. Think about this in light of your life. Because you see, Paul, this morning, is writing to your table. And to your table, and to your table, and to your table, and to your table. He's saying, hey, uh, hi, holy people. And it has that idea of being God's chosen ones, set apart and commissioned by God for his divine service. Now, among the Greeks, when this word was used, the word holy, it carried the idea of being dedicated to the gods. So Paul took it and changed the meaning, the meaning to say consecrated to the God. I wonder today, I wonder if you believe that about you. 
Do you really believe that you are His Holy One? That God has called you to be His person who is literally picked up and consecrated for His service? That He has called you to live this life of holiness? Do you believe that about yourself? We've said this in here in Heartstrings before, that it's easy for some of us to say, Man, I'm just a sinner. And you never find Paul writing and saying, Hi, sinners. He goes to the holy. And you find that in book after book after book that he's written. In fact, I just pulled up some verses this morning of where he has written that to, to the people. He says uh, in Second Peter 3, What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy, godly lives as you look forward to the day of Christ. He says in 1 Peter 1, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you once lived in this world in ignorance, but just as he who has called you is holy, so you be holy in a few things. Nope. In all that you do. Hebrews 12, But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. 2 Timothy 1, He who saved you and called us to be holy. Ephesians 1, 4, he chose us in him to be holy and blameless. And I just wonder when I was writing this lesson, I was just saying, God, God, do a new work in these women to believe that it's possible to live holy life. Because if you don't believe it's possible to be holy, you won't even go for it. But if you have this deep sense in you that God has called you to so consecrate yourself to him that he, by his Holy Spirit, makes you increasingly holy. Man, your mind's going to be lifted to say, I really can see that happening in my life. I read a quote last week that I just love by two of my favorite pastors from the 19th and 20th centuries. They said this, Lord, make me as holy as a saved sinner can be. Would you read that with me? Lord, make me as holy as a saved sinner can be. Would you read that with me one more time, just real slowly? Lord, make me as holy as a saved sinner can be. Would you be willing to start praying that on a daily basis this year? Would you be willing to start saying, Lord, make me just as holy as I possibly can be. And here's my life consecrated to you. I'm just giving it to you to do whatever you want to do. I'm just praying that you and I won't settle for mediocrity, for a little bit of sin, a little bit of deliberate sin, where you go, eh, it doesn't really matter. Paul says to the holy and faithful in Christ Jesus. Do you need to change your mindset about the fact that it's possible to be holy? And then he says, and to the faithful. The word faithful here in the original language has to do with this. Trustworthy, reliable, and I like this. True to the original. Genuine reproductions. And so he's writing to you and to me today and saying, Hey, uh, hi people in Rock Island, Illinois. To the holy and to the faithful. To those who are genuine reproductions of Christ. I tell you, man, I'm just praying this all the time. I'm just praying this all the time that I, that God just takes this life and He just renovates it. That He just, He just tears it apart and makes Him, makes me more faithful, more true to His, the way He wants me to be than ever before. And that's what I'm praying for you. The trouble is, a lot of times we use our present circumstances and situations to say that makes it impossible for me. We say that, that'd probably be okay for Patty. But you don't know my situation and circumstances. We might say something like, I'm a young mom. There are too many demands on my life. We might say, I don't have a Christian husband. How can I be holy and faithful? We say, maybe I don't have a husband at all. How can I be? You don't know what kind of life I live with my loneliness. Maybe you say, I'm not that smart. I'm not that gifted. Or I have these addictions. Or I have whatever yours might be. And around your table... I want to have you discuss this for a minute. The question there on your note kites is this. What are what excuses do you tend to use or maybe have used in the past for not being as holy and as faithful as God would really like for you to be? Does that make sense to you? What what excuses do you tend to use? I got too many kids. I don't have any time for Jesus. I don't know what yours might I'm too old. What excuses would you tend to use for saying, for you, Patty, you talk about being holy and faithful. 
don't know. A genuine reproduction of Jesus? I don't know. Set apart for his divine use? I don't know. What excuses might you tend to use? And let's jump in there and let people who don't tend to answer quite as rapidly as others, just give them time, even if it has to be quiet for a minute. Because remember, introverts take a minute to process what they're going to say. But we extroverts jump in there and so they don't have a chance to it. What What excuses do you tend to use? Share those around your table for a minute. Be as honest as you can be at this stage of not knowing everybody around your table. Go. Well, I don't know what excuse you tend to use. But I am just really praying that God just digs deep into your soul and begins to help you understand that he has called you to be holy and he who's called you can make you holy. But think about yourself as consecrated, consecrated to him for his divine purpose. Do you see that box that I have on your note-taking guides there that says, based on the word of God? See that? Are you with me? Oh, good. <laughs> want you to do something with me? I want you to take the paper and stand up. Stand up. If you're physically able to do that, if, you, if it's too much work, then feel free to stay seated. I love seeing all you girls. I want you to read this quote with me. And I want you to read it with just gusto. Ready? Based on the word of God, I am holy because Jesus makes me holy. Oh, I'm sorry. I've got to stop looking at you. Sorry, Lord. Ready? Based on the word of God, I am holy because Jesus says I am holy. I am holy because he is making me holy. I am faithful because the Holy Spirit enables me to be faithful. I am becoming a genuine reproduction of Christ. And I don't want to belabor the point, but I want you to read it one more time with me, okay? I want these words to get so down deep in you that Wednesday night and Friday morning and Saturday night and Sunday morning, you're just thinking, oh wow, it's like those words just keep coming up outside out of me. That's what the Word of God does. I want you to read it with me one more time. You did great that time, but just add even more to it. Ready? Based on the Word of God. I am holy because Jesus makes me holy. I am holy because he is making me holy. I am faithful because the Holy Spirit enables me to be faithful. I am becoming a genuine reproduction of Christ. And everybody says, yay. Have a seat. That based on the word of God. Yeah, I just took that and rewrote that scripture that we were looking at. Yeah, so I just restated it. I have a challenge for you this week. See that challenge right there? Yeah. Cut it out, put it on the refrigerator. Say it every day for the next week. And next week when you sit around these tables, the first question I'm going to have you answer is, did you say this every day? So I'm giving you a heads up already so you know. Did you say every single day, I'm holy because Jesus says I'm holy? I'm holy, he's making me holy. I'm faithful because the Holy Spirit enables me to be faithful. I'm becoming a genuine reproduction of Christ. That's just his desire for us. There's one more part of the greeting there that he says that I just want to touch on briefly. Notice where he says to the holy and faithful in Christ Jesus... And it says, at Colossae. Most translators say that that word, at Colossae, that preposition, at, really could be more, or that article, at, could be more closely, uh, more accurately stated, in Colossae. In fact, in some Bibles, it'll give a little asterisk and say, in Colossae. And I love that way, because I think it's just, it reminds me, it's like I have two addresses. I am in Christ Jesus. I am in Colossae. I am in Rock Island. I am in Moline. I am in Bettendorf. I am in Alito. But I'm in Christ Jesus. I said to John last night, I don't know how to teach that. I don't know how to teach it. I don't know how to teach it better. It's something that I know down deep. I believe and I and I like just physically, I get it, but I don't know how to teach it. That you and I are in Christ Jesus. 
There's some spiritual union that we have with Christ that I don't know how to put it into words. Just like I am in Rock Island right now. I am in this building right now. I am in this room right now. I am somehow, in some ways, that I don't quite even know how to explain, I'm in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ Jesus when you're a believer. And I really believe if we could get that better, if we could understand that more uh, more real in our lives, it would change how we live. But I don't, I have two addresses. I am in Christ. Actually, I have three. We'll talk about some other time. I'm also in heaven in the spiritual realms. But I, I'm in Christ Jesus. And that he, he it, 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 to me, it talks about belonging. I'm in him and he's in me. It talks about intimacy. When I am in something, I'm that, that, that sense of, of intimacy is, is there, that I am in Christ Jesus. And I wish I knew how to explain it better. He also says, I have two desires for the people. I have the desire that you'll have grace and that you'll have peace. And the word grace is God's favor bestowed on human behavior with no strings attached. He says, I'm pouring out my grace on you. And then I'm calling you to be holy, calling you to be faithful. And peace. Peace was just the common Jewish um, greeting that meant more than just high. It meant wholeness. Well-being in all aspects of life. So when you'd say to when we say to you peace today, it means I wish you wholeness. I wish you well-being in all parts of your life. I really believe that that's what God's saying to us today. I want that for you. Then comes my one of my favorite parts in all of Colossians: the place of prayer. I love this because this is what's going on in my life right now. It's what I'm hoping goes on in your life, as you'll see in just a little bit. Paul's going to talk about the place of prayer. That first uh, blank that you have right there, do you have a blank first? The place of prayer, do you have a blank? Oh, it was already filled in? Paul's going to do a real convicting section right here that I'm going to pull out for us today. Paul the prayer, the prayer. Look at verse 3. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because, and he goes on to talk about why he's praying, and we'll come back to that if we have time at the end. He is praying for them. Look down at verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped, what? Praying for you. Even chained to a Roman soldier, he's praying for the church at Colossae. And if you read the other books that he wrote from prison, you see he's doing the same thing for them. And I wonder if you and I had been chained to a soldier in prison, would we be sitting there praying for our church? Would we be praying for each other? Would we be sitting there going, I just can't believe this. I don't understand this. Why would God do this to me? Paul doesn't offer any excuses for not praying. He just says, I'm praying for you. And all throughout his letters... He's praying for the churches. I wrote, read one quote that said this. I put it on your note-taking, guys. I thought it was pretty good. How that should speak to our own careless, prayerless ways. If the Son of God needed to pray, and if the great apostle needed to pray, how much more do we? So Paul thanked God for his people. All too often we gossip about them, ignore them, or slight them. Paul prayed for them. And I read that and I say, you can fill in the blank. What an example. What an example. What an example. But he's not the only example of prayer in the book of Colossians. And now comes to my favorite, favorite part of Colossians. He talks about this young man, Epaphras, the prayer. After talking about his own prayer, for, his, for the people, he immediately writes about somebody else who's praying for the people. And this will be really convicting to you and to me. He writes about somebody in his congregation, Epaphras. Would you say the name of Epaphras with me? Ready? Epaphras. Who is it? Epaphras. He's writing about this guy named Epaphras. Remember, I already said Epaphras is the lay person, not a pastor, he's just a lay person who gets saved in Ephesus, who starts the church in Colossae. Who's worried about the problems that are happening in Colossae. 
goes to Rome, says, Paul, you need to know about these problems. Paul writes this letter, uh, the Colossian letter, and he sends it back with him to be read in this in this church. And Epaphras, we don't know a lot about him, but what we do know about him is absolutely powerful. In fact, if I had to tell you ten people in my life who are my heroes in the Bible, Epaphras is one of them. And you'll know why in just a little bit. Take your Bibles and look, first of all, chapter 1, verse 7, as we find out about Epaphras. Oh, I'm sorry, Colossians still. Yeah, we're still in Colossians, sorry. Just getting down a little bit there. Colossians chapter 1, verse 7. He said, you learned it, the gospel, from who? What's his name? Epaphras. Our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, or your behalf, who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Now turn over to chapter 4, verse 12, and you'll find one of my life verses. This is powerful to me. You find out more about Epaphras. Chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always, what if you have the NIV? Wrestling in prayer for you. You might want to fill in your blank so you don't get worried about that blank. Where it says 412, always wrestling in prayer for you. I deliberately wanted you to write that word because I want that word to go down so deep in you and so deep in me that it keeps coming up to us. We'll come back to it in just a minute. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. They were, those were two cities that were real close that were kind of like a three-city area. Uh, this, this part about Epaphras is so convicting for me when I think about intercessory prayer, about praying for other people. When you look at that word wrestling, do you think, does that give, does that conjure up Pictures in your mind of somebody laying on the couch, putting their feet up, having a cup of coffee, saying, okay, Lord, would you touch Rhonda? (sighs) I think Rachel needs a little bit of prayer. Man, I need that word. Wrestling. He is always wrestling in prayer for you guys. That you will stand firm in all the will of God. Mature and fully assured. He says he's wrestling in prayer for you. And in my mind, that reminds me that praying is hard business. Do you ever start to pray and you get real unfocused and you start trailing off and you go, I don't feel like praying. Man, I do. And this verse reminds me that praying is hard business. It's so hard that sometimes it'll feel like you're just wrestling. Sometimes you wrestle. Sometimes you wrestle against demonic influences. Sometimes you wrestle um, against physical stuff, where you just have headaches or you have PMS or 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 you're exhausted. But you just wrestle in prayer. I'm trying to figure out what this means in my life more. I have just given my life to God in a renewed way to say, by your grace and your strength and your power, I am going to be a person who wrestles in prayer for people. I don't even know all of what it means. But I'm wrestling in prayer for you. I'm just, I'm just spending hours in prayer. Just begging God for His Spirit to work in you who are discouraged. You who are living sinful lives and nobody knows about it. You who have great capacity but are not living it. For our church. And I'm interceding for my kids. I'm interceding for our missionaries. I'm just saying, God, would you help me to say this could be one of the most important things in the world. And so if you wake me up at 2 in the morning, I'm going to intercede. I'm going to wrestle. If you call me to turn, which you always do, to turn off the TV, for some of you get off Facebook or whatever it is that tends to take you time, I'm going to become an interceder. And I really believe that God is doing something in heritage 
It's like, I just feel like there's some little raindrops. We used to sing an old song growing up, there should be showers of blessing. Uh, mercy drops around us are falling, but for the showers we plead. I feel like he's doing something. He's raising up some people. He's beginning to stir in hearts that people are getting together to pray. On Wednesday mornings at a quarter to nine, Donna, where are you? Donna Sapinski is getting a group of, I'm calling them Epaphras groups. And I've just been praying that God would raise up people to say, I want to get people together to pray. And Donna said, uh, she didn't know anything about that, and she just said, could I get some women together before heartstrings, anybody who wants to come early, and we'll just pray. I think you're going to especially target families, is that right, Donna? Children and grandchildren? Children and grandchildren. And you're meeting um, in room 228. If you go up those steps right outside the door, you just go right up to the top. You'll see 228 right ahead of you. And uh, she'd love to have anybody. I'll be there next week, too. Um, I, and some other people have come to me and said, I just feel like God's really moving on me to pray. What do I do about it? I think the mercy drops around us are falling. And I really believe that God is working, and he's going to keep working. And I'm just praying that in this group of heartstrings, can I tell you, my friends, that I have known many of you for year after year after year, I believe that in this group, this is going to be one of the groups that he's going to stir to intercessory prayer. Until God's going to pour out his blessing, and he's going to pour out what we're just begging for, this revival that is unlike anything we've ever seen before. I don't know when it's going to come or how it's going to come, but I really believe he's going to pour out a revival. But I'm convinced that it's going to be linked to prayer. And it's going to be linked to people who say, I'll wrestle in prayer because prayer is not always easy. What an example Epaphras is. That's your blank right there, if you care about blanks. What an example. You know, I read these verses and I realize the difference that a regular, ordinary person can be. Epaphras isn't Paul. You know, we look at Paul and say, well, of course he prayed. He's just the world's most amazing missionary. Epaphras is just you. He's just a regular, ordinary person that God gets a hold of. And he starts this church. And he's influential in this letter that's being written by Paul that's speaking to us 2,000 years later. What an example. And you see a little check mark and a blank there, right? Underneath that, underneath the Epaphras. There's one more prayer that I want you to think about today. Not just Paul, who's just praying, interceding for the church. Not just Epaphras, but the third person. Would you put your name right there? Look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Colossians 4, 2. If you have the NIV, would you read that out loud with me? Four, two. I'll wait till you get there. Ready? What's he saying? Devote yourselves to prayer. Would you read that one more time? Devote yourselves to prayer. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm especially thinking about those words. Devote yourselves to prayer. Four words. And I want to ask you a question. Will you take up that challenge? Will you take up that challenge to become an intercessor? Will you take up that challenge to devote yourself to prayer? Will you say to God, if you wake me up at night, I'll pray. Will you devote yourself to prayer to say, 10 o'clock at night, or everything else gets shut down, I'm just going to grab my Bible and get on my knees. I'm just going to pray. Will you devote yourselves to prayer? I'm reading a book right now on intercessory prayer, and in it I read this quote. It's on your note-taking guides there. I've learned that no one is born a prayer hero. Man, that's true. You don't just wake up one day and go, man, I'm a prayer hero. You'll never, ever have that happen. They are shaped and refined in the practice field of life. For whom are you praying? For whom are you interceding today? And who does God want me to be interceding for? your family, your church. I just really want to call you. I want to enlist you on this prayer warriors team to pray for this church, for your church, Some, a couple of you are from another church, to intercede for your church until God sends this mighty revival. 
a question for you around your tables because you've listened so well for that lengthy time there. Question around your table. Who has been in a Packers for you? You may not know, but some of you do. Who's somebody who you know interceded for you? Share that person if you know who that is. Um, I just know that Mary McQuiston, when I was growing up, she was my interceder. She just, man, she just, just prayed for me all the time. Let, two weeks ago, um, we lost an interceder in our family. Uh, John, when John's mom and dad died, um, he said to some friends, he said, one of the hardest things for me about my mom and dad dying is that um, they were my greatest intercessors for my children. And he said, you know, we don't have that now, though, that passionate intercessor, intercessor for my kids. And he said that in a public setting where Roy and Jocelyn Crawford had been John's pastors growing up. His dad was the district superintendent, so he wasn't his pastor. And Roy and Jocelyn came to John and said, John, you just need to know. We'll pick that up. We'll be your intercessors for your kids. And for um, 25 years now, I think, every day in their lives, they've interceded for our kids. And Jocelyn died last week. And one of the first things that, um, she's in her, in her 80s, she's ailing in health, and, and she was so glad to go and be with Jesus. But one of the first things that John said was, oh, we've lost an intercessor for our kids. Who's been an intercessor for you? If you know who that is, I'd encourage you to drop a note to them and tell them how grateful you are. But the next part of the question says this, for whom are you being an, inter- an Epaphras? And ask this too, it's at the end of that question, what's keeping you from being a better Epaphras? What's keeping you from being a better, better warrior, intercessor? Epaphras. So three questions. You can answer them any way you want to. Who's been an Epaphras for you? For whom are you being an Epaphras? And what's keeping you from being a better Epaphras? I'm going to give you uh, five minutes for this. I never give you five minutes. But I want you to talk about this one. If i got to clean it. Aren't you so grateful that you have Epaphrases in your life and don't you want to be an Epaphras for others? Um, I have a challenge for you. It's on your note-taking guides there. Would you set a goal of praying or interceding for others this week? Your family, your church, yourself. You might have to do it in the morning, in the late night, while your kids nap, in the bathroom during a break at work. But will you be an Epaphras for others? And Bonnie mentioned something. I do want to make sure I tell you I do know that a lot of you are the intercessors for my kids. And I, that's the greatest gift anybody ever gives us is to be that intercessor for, for my kids. Real fast, we're just going to skim another couple of verses and let you take this home with you. And then I want to spend a couple minutes in having you discuss around your table one more thing. Go back to chapter 1. <laughs> chapter 1. Paul, in verses 3 to um, 6, actually 3 to uh, 5, is going to use to talk about a triad, you know, three things. He tends to do this throughout his writings. He's going to do it again next week when we look at uh, the second part of this chapter. He's going to talk about faith, hope, and love, which he does a lot in his letters. Let's just touch on it for just a second. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Faith is just that evidence of your true salvation. It makes me ask myself, and you might want to ask yourself this, Hmm, is my faith so real so strong, so vital, that somebody's hearing about it. Now, he's talking to the he's writing to the church here at Colossae. So I think it's really great that we're able to say, as a church at Heritage, yes, I think people would be able to say, people hear about our faith. But I do understand that the church is just individual by individual by individual, so I think it's fair to ask that. Is my faith so strong 
that somebody's hearing about it. He says, I've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The love, another evidence of true salvation. Does anybody hear about your love for the church? That's what he's talking about. He's like, I've heard about your faith, and I've heard about your love for all the saints. What saints? The saints in your church. Do, you, do, do any, does anybody hear about how much you love your church? How much you love, I mean the people. I'm not talking about the church. Do people hear how much you love people in your church? I read uh, a little poem that I'd read years and years ago. You probably possibly have heard it too. It's an anonymous poem. Somebody said this. It's on your notes. To dwell above with saints above, that will indeed be glory. To dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. (laughs) But think about the message that it sends to the world around us when we love each other. We'll talk about that more this year in um, Colossians. Are you struggling with loving somebody in the body of Christ? I wouldn't be surprised, because that's what happens in relationships. Go back to being an Epaphras for them. Go back to praying for them. And then he says, um, that, verse 5, that faith and love spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. And that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that's come to you. He says, that faith and love spring out of hope that's stored up in heaven for you. Hope is like two-dimensional. We have hope right here, but part of it's just stored up in heaven. That, that we just know it's coming. We know heaven's coming. We know that, that resurrection of the body is coming. We know that we're going to meet him one day. And all of those then yield our faith and our hope. Hope is just that firm assurance that the gospel's real, that Jesus is true, that the word is real. And then out of that, faith and love come. Um, Let's see here. I just noticed that Paul's taking faith, hope, and love pretty seriously. And I realized that I should too. I found that quote I put on your note-taking guides. It starts out, every task, do you see that? Every task that we perform... Every calling we hear, every burden we respond to, every act of worship, and every opportunity to witness should aim to strengthen our faith, hope, and love. And I just said, am I taking my faith seriously, my love seriously, my hope seriously? How about you? Well, as we get ready to close, I want you to spend a couple of minutes in prayer around your table, but specifically about this. When you look back over this lesson, I think there are just some key words that we can pick up. Which, What is mainly the Holy Spirit putting his finger on in your life today? Is it about this idea that God's calling you to be holy? Is it this idea that he's calling you to be faithful, a unique, um, exact representation of the Father? Maybe he's speaking to you to say, man, I just need to change my mind and realize that this is possible. How about is it about being in an Epaphras? Maybe it's about your faith and your hope and your love being stronger. Maybe it's about that challenge. Remember the first challenge was every day this week you're going to say that quote. That's in that little box. That he's making me holy. He's making me faithful. Because of the word of God I can be those. Or maybe it's the challenge that you need to become an intercessor better. What would you say, just look over your lesson for 10 seconds and figure out, what would you say right now, why did the Holy Spirit bring you here today? So that you could hear one thing particularly, what would that be? Share that around your table for just a few minutes and do it kind of quietly because people will start praying and then pray together, okay? What's he speaking to you about? And then pray together about those things around your table. Lord Jesus, it just amazes me how fast um, the summer has gone and how fast this hour and a half have gone and how much you long for us to get from your word. And I pray for me and for every single person in this room that you would take us deeper in our prayer lives, deeper in this area of holiness, deeper in our love for your word and our willingness to let you transform our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
keep working, keep working, keep moving. We pray in your precious name. Amen. Hey, every week I want to give you a memory verse. And I didn't put it on your note-taking guide, so let me just tell it to you. You can write it down. Colossians 4, 12b. So that's the second part of it. I would love for you to memorize the whole thing, but I don't know if you'll do that or not. So, uh, 12b. Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer for you. I want it to get in your brain, in your heart, in your soul that God wants you to be an Epaphras and that prayer is sometimes hard. I encourage you, if you want to go deeper and you're having a hard time focusing, get a prayer journal. You're going to be sick of hearing me say it again this year. For 14 years I've been saying this. Get a prayer journal. It helps you to concentrate. And together, let's be Epaphras's. Hey, let me tell you one quick thing I forgot to mention at the beginning. A lot of you have been interceding for John this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But he has been here in the United States the whole time. They went Sunday to the airport and uh, ready to go to Chicago, to Brussels, to Sierra Leone. The plane that was supposed to come here, the United Air Flight that was supposed to come here, they neglected to book a pilot for them. So they were delayed getting here, so they missed the flight from Brussels to Brussels, from Chicago. They tried for forever to get any plane that would take them somewhere in Europe that would eventually take them to Sierra Leone, but you only fly into Sierra Leone two times a week. There were no planes that could get them in on that day until Wednesday afternoon, which means that they would only be there about a day and a half. And so we were sick. We were just physically sick over it. And all we can do is say, we don't understand it, Lord, but we're yours. And so they did put on, we did, the church did put on the conference still in um, Sierra Leone. They just didn't have their speakers there. So we don't, we haven't heard how things have gone or anything, but uh, I know a lot of people are really concerned about John, so thanks for praying. So they can't, they didn't get to leave. They didn't get to leave out of Chicago, out of here. Yeah, right. So thanks for praying. Have a great week. Memorize, love the word, live the word, learn the word. Talk to you soon.